Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. I'm Michael Denham, Vice Chair, Commercial Banking and Financial Markets with National Bank of Canada. Small to medium-sized enterprises in Canada face numerous challenges. Scaling up the business is widely seen as a key hurdle that many Canadian companies fail to clear. There are ways to help Canada's SMEs grow by removing barriers, including those tied to financing and the capital markets. The C.T. Howe Institute has launched a series aimed at outlining the context and offering policy recommendations. Michael joins us now for insight into the issues. Michael, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Give us a sense of how important SMEs are to Canada and the labor force. Well, Michael, SMEs um, are uh, an extremely important part of our uh, economy. Um, they represent about together about maybe half or so of our GDP, but more importantly, they count for um, kind of well in excess of three quarters uh, of employment. So in many ways, the, uh, the uh, our economic prosperity, the economic success of our country uh, relates directly to uh, kind of how competitive and how successful our SMEs are. Yeah, we, we often think about the, the, the big companies within the country, but within that SME world, what qualifies to you as, as a small and a medium-sized enterprise? How many employees would that be? So we tend, I mean, I think everyone has a different shorthand or different way of looking at it. Um, uh, the way I look at it is you have small enterprises that are up to about 100 or so employees. Uh, you have the mid-size, which are 100 to 500, uh, and then the, the next step up is above 500. So um, the, the key thing for this discussion, which I know we'll come back to, relates to that sweet spot of companies that are in the 100 or so plus employee zone. And that tends to equate to plus or minus kind of minimum $10 million of revenues. But we'll come back to this in more detail. Well, yes, Canada has a track record, as I said, of, of getting SMEs off the ground. But reaching the stars is a different matter. Why do you suppose that is? So let me give you, um, I'll let you that, Michael. The, my, my backdrop on this is um, so I'm currently uh, um, uh, working with uh, a number of other uh, leading Canadians uh, at CD Howe um, on the uh, their SME growth working group, and I'm chairing that working group. And then prior, I was the CEO of BDC for six years. So my milieu for the past um, um, uh, eight or so years has been SMEs. And National Bank is highly focused on entrepreneurs, so that's kind of adding to my uh, to my exposure. So it's a part of the economy that I that I know well. And as you say, there we, we as a country have done uh, relatively well when it comes to starting new businesses. And if you look at the, the ratio between um, new companies and uh, uh, exiting or companies that kind of stop their operations, um, we are um, uh, having more enter than exit. So we're increasing over time the, the, the net stock of Canadian companies. So we're growing, we're starting Canadian companies relatively well. Um, but then when it comes to growing them, to your point, uh, we've been stalled, frankly, as a country for a while. And we're in decline up till about 2016, where the number of medium-sized companies in the country uh, was actually falling very slightly, but consistently for many years. Uh, we've turned that corner, but the level of growth is is, is still very flat. So we haven't uh, yet got to the point that we can be satisfied uh, as a country, uh, as policymakers and policy watchers, uh, with respect to our ability to take these companies that have started and see them grow. A lot of the numbers that I've been looking at are, are pre-pandemic numbers. I guess we want to try to compare apples to apples here, uh, considering the impact that the pandemic had on SMEs sort of skews the, the figures. But pre-pandemic, the share of total outstanding loans to SMEs relative to large business loans hit an 18-year low. And we know it's not because small and medium-sized businesses are riskier. Their delinquency rates continue to decline in the years prior to the pandemic. So what's behind all this? Um. That's a good uh, a good question. So the way um, 
um, uh, I've looked at it is less in terms of the uh, uh, the gross the gross the gross amount of loans outstanding, but it's more in terms of uh, I'm probably going to get here as well in terms of approval rates. Uh, and the question is for SMEs for entrepreneurs that want to get a loan from the financial financial institution, um, kind of how many get that loan? Uh, and that approval rate on average has been uh, kind of relatively high, like in excess of 80, 90 percent for most entrepreneurs. There are a couple of segments that we can get into where that's not the case. But I do think that the ability of, of SMEs, um, uh, the, the majority of SMEs, um, both small and large, to get access to lending from the financial institution uh, is actually relatively good. And that isn't the, um, uh, the biggest impediment uh, that, we need to, uh, that we need to tackle. What do you see the biggest impediment as being? So there were two. So, um, and this picks up on some of the themes, Michael, you've introduced already. Uh, with respect to um, uh, small companies, uh, as I said, on average, loan approval rates and um, uh, loan acceptance rates are relatively high. Uh, but the averages do deceive in the sense there are a certain category of entrepreneurs that have a harder time uh, getting access to financing than others. Uh, women um, are a very important, notable example of this. Um, as are new Canadians, as are BIPOC business leaders. Um, so there are uh, some dem- demographics where, uh, for all sorts of reasons we can describe, uh, I think we collectively need to make some progress. <clears throat> and I know that the federal government and others have taken some steps to um, make more financing available for these groups, and we're beginning to see some progress. So there are some um, in the, the, the segment of, of uh, smaller uh, client companies, Michael, where uh, there are some gaps in terms of approval rates that we need to improve. And then secondly, as companies grow, this gets to the scale-up point. There are a number of, of factors that, in my mind, um, uh, impede growth. And to get back to your first point, uh, growth is very important because as companies get bigger, they begin to do more R&D, they innovate more, they have more scale, they can export – um, and it's our lack of larger companies that really impedes our ability as a country to be um, uh, as competitive as we can be. So financing is an issue there for some of these companies. And it's not so much on the debt side, uh, it's on the equity side. Uh, and uh, there aren't as many sources of, of accessible equity uh, in Canada as you'd find elsewhere. So that's one. Uh, two is, um, I think there is a, um, uh, we don't have in place the aggressive type of, of innovative procurement customers that you find south of the border. And I think if there are some ways to get our customers, um, the, the, the buyers of um, Canadian goods to be more, uh, more pioneering, uh, more ahead of the curve rather than behind the curve, that would help. And third is also the issue around ambition and aspiration. And uh, you can't generalize in this type of thing, but the, the higher the level of ambition we have uh, amongst Canadian entrepreneurs, the higher they're going to aim, uh, the more rapidly they'll grow, and the more this, 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 this picture of insufficient uh, medium and larger companies will change. So ambition is also a big part of it. So let's work backwards on that. Are, are you suggesting then that Canadians aren't as ambitious as they need to be to compete on the global stage? We were just sort of happy to be the big fish in a little pond? I think the um, uh, uh, ambition is something that um, we can um, uh, uh, work on and help cultivate. I think we're all, we're all born in a certain way. And we're all born with a certain level of drive and a certain level of ambition. But what I've seen in my travels, Michael, is um, in most centers, most cities in Canada have these um, these setups where they have um, mentorship, support groups, what have you. But I think the more entrepreneurs that are on the rise can learn from entrepreneurs who have succeeded and built global companies, 
the more I think we'll take risk out of that growth challenge, and the more I think we'll have uh, the ambition of these entrepreneurs less fettered. So there's a group I'm part of. In, in, there's two groups. One's called the QG100 in Quebec. Uh, one's called the OG100 in Ontario. And it's um, focused on 100 uh, export-oriented entrepreneurs in each province. Uh, and they work as a club. But in that club, you have um, maybe a couple of dozen of very seasoned business leaders who have grown their companies um, over the years to, to make them world-class. And there's mentorship from these senior business leaders to the um, uh, other entrepreneurs that are whose businesses are poised to grow. And it's that mentorship and support, I think, um, as I see it, it be, it's beginning to make a big difference in terms of how high and how patient these entrepreneurs remain. So I do think there are some things that we, we collectively can think about and do to, to kind of nurture and mentor uh, this, next, this next potential group of global leaders so that they kind of stay with it, stay focused, grow their companies, and produce the great uh, next generation of Canadian global leaders. Okay, so it comes back to the issue of community, community building, supporting each other, paying it forward, that kind of thing. What about to your other point uh, about um, once a company hits a certain level, getting equity investment into that company is a bigger issue than, as you suggested earlier, getting a loan from the bank? So as companies grow, um, getting loans from the bank is, um, uh, is important. Um, but the amount that a bank can lend to a company uh, is a function of uh, the equity it has on its balance sheet. So if a company isn't able to, to grow its equity rapidly enough through dividends or investments, there's a limit to how much bank borrowing can do, which overall really kind of caps and, and constrains uh, the growth of the business. So um, having a, a way to access equity is a way to then access more, um, uh, more lending uh, that gives your balance sheet much more heft, and you can use that to grow rapidly. So equity is key, not just for equity's sake, but in order to, to support the leverage and uh, help the company grow. And um, uh, the less access entrepreneurs have... How do we foster that then? Yeah, so the less access entrepreneurs have to equity, uh, the more they need to um, uh, basically go through the dividends their businesses produce. That takes, that takes a while. So it is important to have outsized sources of equity. And I think in Canada, we have a fairly good... Um, uh, set of venture capital investors for technology companies uh, that um, uh, represent uh, uh, the kind of country and there's lots of uh, lots of financing available as companies grow. But as these companies grow, and for non-tech companies especially, um, there isn't a particularly uh, rich, accessible um, set of equity opportunities. Um, there aren't that many private equity funds in Canada. There aren't that many minority uh, equity funds in Canada. Um, we have incredibly successful, important, globally important pension plans, but they tend to um, not have a particular focus on uh, Canadian uh, equity needs. So I think we need to, to figure out a way to, especially with respect to the pension plans, uh, work with them and find ways to link um, their uh, massive balance sheets and massive amount of equity uh, to the growth needs of Canadian businesses and Canadian entrepreneurs. And coming back to your earlier point, and at the risk of you know being knocked off the Christmas card list of your fellow bankers, you point out that women, uh, people of color, uh, and immigrants have difficulty getting bank loans themselves. Do we have an issue of discrimination within the banking community that, while we've been talking about for years, still needs to be addressed in uh, with a greater passion? So, um, what what uh, things are moving very quickly and positively, and the, the journey is far from done. Don't get me wrong. But um, National Bank, uh, the other five um, large chartered banks, 
BDC, EDC, uh, provincial organizations are all very proactive and very active in terms of adapting themselves to become more accessible to, um, uh, to female entrepreneurs, um, BIPOC entrepreneurs, um, new immigrants, etc. Um, uh, all the banks have programs. All the banks have rewired themselves in their marketing to a certain extent. But, Michael, what's interesting is um, this is maybe a, a few years old, but um, when I was at BDC, we did extensive research into the topic. And what we found was the, the approval rates for loans to, in this case, women entrepreneurs was about the same as the approval rate for loans to male entrepreneurs. The big issue was that women weren't coming to the bank to the same, at the same frequency as men were to seek financing. So a lot of the programs that the BDC has done, which are good, that we're doing and others, is designed to make the um, financial system banks more uh, accessible, uh, more easy to connect with, um, so that it becomes more of, a, of an instinct for all women entrepreneurs to approach their financial institutions for lending. Uh, and that's begun to, uh, begun to work, begun to, um, uh, to help. Uh, we just need to see that progress more rapidly so that um, there's no difference at all in terms of approval rates or amounts when it comes to women entrepreneurs and men entrepreneurs. So, so the journey started. Uh, I think the financial system uh, is engaged. Uh, we just need to, uh, to accelerate. As you know from your work with the Institute, the Institute's found that in 2019, the interest rate spread between loans to SMEs versus large enterprises was the highest of the OECD. How can we change that? Um, that's a good question. Uh, and it's a, it's a spread that's been uh, out there for, um, for a while. And uh, I don't quite uh, know, the, I, don't, I don't really quite know what the uh, issues are that would uh, allow that to compress one thing I do know, though, Michael, is there's a lot of uh, discussion underway uh, around uh, open banking, uh, which is a, a set of, of changes, uh, and Ottawa now is coordinating the national conversation, a set of changes to make uh, it easier, frankly, for all Canadians, but especially businesses, uh, to connect into different sources of financing for their different needs. A national bank, we're a big advocate of open banking. And my hope is that once we get to the stage that uh, we have this environment where there are more options and more flexibility, it will allow entrepreneurs to kind of seek the best source of financing for the particular requirement. Is there a role for governments to play in increasing access to capital for SMEs? Uh, I, think, I think there is uh, no question. I think there are... Um, uh, issues the government, and let me just go through the, the various categories uh, that we've talked about already. Uh, one is in terms of um, uh, equity, uh, accessing equity for rapidly growing companies. Um, the government through BDC and EDC is already quite active. Um, there are some um, first loss provisions. There are some steps the governments can take to um, uh, offboard some risk, uh, take some risk with proper comp compensation for the private sector. There may be some mechanisms the government can put in place with respect to the Canadian pension plans to get more um, um, focus and uh, equity brought to bear domestically. Um, I think there are some uh, steps the government uh, uh, has taken in terms of capital requirements for banks to make it um, uh, easier in terms of capital consumption to lend to certain segments. So I do think that there's a, a role um, in part as a regulator, uh, in part as an actor, uh, in part as a motivator that the government can play to, uh, based on an identified um, and agreed upon set of gaps, work with the industry and the system to close those gaps to, again, make it easy, especially for the best entrepreneurs, to access the resources they need to grow and succeed.
Well, further to that, Americans have exemptions from taxation on capital gains realized from the sale of certain small business shares. Uh, sure, they have to hold them for five years straight, but it seems like that encourages the kind of patience that's needed to help grow an SME. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't pretend to be an expert on um, on tax in the tax code, um, uh, and I do know that there are um, uh, levers such as this. Uh, I know right now, Michael, for example, in the world of of clean energy and clean technology. Um, in light of the IR, the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., there are a whole host of, of, of tax provisions and accelerated depreciation provisions um, uh, that we as Canadians um, need to uh, look at and respond to. Uh, so this clearly it's a lever, but I don't pretend to have any specific insights around uh, which levers are more relevant or more important than others. What do you make of the Institute's suggestion that an option would be to almost take a page from the incentive structure for mortgage lending versus lending for business? The CMHC provides lenders of insured mortgages a 100% insurance guarantee. Is a similar structure a viable option in business lending? Well, what's interesting, uh, so th- I think it's something that, has to, that, that should be looked at. And I say that for a couple of reasons. With the role of the, uh, for a, a lot of all banks, based on how we're regulated, and the, the various um, requirements around minimum capital and um, uh, the Basel um, uh, structures. Um, how banks deploy their scarce capital is uh, of utmost importance. And with the CMHC in the mortgage world and perhaps another entity in the small business world, there is a way to um, actually have a must, much lower uh, level of capital alloca- allocation required for the same amount of lending. So um, the CMHC role as an insurer makes it a lot um, more efficient as a bank and financial institution uh, to lend money as mortgages. So I think uh, a similar uh, type of setup with respect to certain types of small business lending would lower the capital allocation the banks require and would actually free up um, um, extra amounts of uh, lending. So I think there's definitely something there. And then I think, secondly, the way mortgages are kind of set up in structures, they're allowed, they're, 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 they're easy products to be securitized and moved off balance sheets. And when that takes place, that frees up balance sheet capacity. So the more we can think about uh, homogenous types of small business loans that would lend themselves to be pooled and securitized, I think the more you'd get the, the, the balance sheets of Canadian banks and other financial institutions at work to support Canadian SMEs. So it's a good question, Michael. I think there's a, there's a lot there worth, worth considering. And uh, that's one area that I know the Institute has been um, um, trying to get the policymakers to focus on. We've talked about a lot of different things over the course of our, our time together. If there was one takeaway for the viewer, what would you like it to be? Uh, for me, the um, I think the one um, takeaway is that um, uh, the overall situation as it relates to financing uh, is actually relatively good. So we're focused on uh, a few gaps as opposed to uh, a, a disadvantaged uh, system vis-a-vis uh, um, SMEs. So there are some gaps that we talked about in terms of the um, uh, kind of smaller businesses and women-led businesses. There are some equity gaps as companies seem to grow. But as you've already indicated, there are a number of good ideas that are percolating that we just need to make sure we um, kind of focus on and tackle to keep moving our economy forward to support the growth of SMEs coast to coast. Michael, thank you for your time and insight today. Michael, thanks to you. Michael Denham is the Vice Chair of Commercial and Financial Markets at National Bank of Canada. For more insight into the challenges SMEs face and the Institute's recommended public policy solutions, visit cdhow.org.
Still to come from the C.D. Howe Institute, leveraging real-time data for real health benefits. A webinar November 15th with Janet Davidson, fellow in residence at the Institute and chair of the board of the Digital Research Alliance of Canada. Michael Hilmer, Assistant Deputy Minister of the Digital and Analytics Strategy Division at the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Long-Term Care. Kimberlyn McGrail, a professor at the UBC School of Population and Public Health, and David O'Toole, the president and CEO of the Canadian Institute for Health Information. And on November 22nd, we ask, will unaffordability cripple a generation of young Canadians? Insight into the answer with our webinar with Ben Felix, the head of research at PWL Capital, and Rob Carrick, the personal finance columnist for the Globe and Mail. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.